Boo, everyone. It's Ricky Baez, co-host of the HR Talk podcast, your favorite HR podcast. Who says that? <laughs> I wonder who walks around and says, oh, man, HR Talk. That is my favorite HR podcast ever. I don't know if anybody says that. Everybody says that. Anyway, hello, Ricky Baez coming to you live from beautiful Central Florida. JC is off today. He's doing some things with family and friends. He deserves a day off. Nothing wrong with that. But yes, I'm here to welcome you to yet another episode of HR Talk. And again, folks, we are excited. We're excited because uh, JC and I are going to see you live at the Space Coast HR Conference here in April 20th, 2022, coming for a, a new location, actually, in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Tickets are still available at www.spacecoasthrconference.com. You'll be able to click on the link there and get your ticket for the event, and we'll see you live there. Now, today... I get to interview one of the keynote speakers for that event. That's coming up here in just a bit. Um, but before we do that, it's been, I just want to touch on this because it has been a roller coaster for the NFL. And before I, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and play you the clip that I have. This is from local10.com. Check this out. Suit that has rocked the NFL. A lawyer giving us his take on former coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against the Miami Dolphins, alleging rampant racism in the league. Local 10's Joseph Ojo is live with more. Joseph. And these were some explosive allegations that Flores made against the NFL. And whether true or not, a sports attorney not affiliated with this case tells me that he believes to avoid an open investigation, the NFL will settle and make this go away. You know, it was my turn to step up and, and, and be an agent for change. It's the news that sent shockwaves across the sports world. Former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores filing a class action lawsuit against the NFL and three teams. Initially, when I heard about it, I thought that this was career suicide. Alan Fertel is a sports attorney. I think he's got a, he's got a case. He's got a shot. He is not affiliated with this case, but we sat down with him to break down Flores' serious allegations. For this to come out is horrible for the NFL right now. What I think is going to happen is that they're going to settle. He's going to make millions of dollars. In the suit, Flores criticized the league's hiring practices, claiming, quote, incredibly, this was not his first sham interview. He also referenced this message exchange with the Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick, who mistakenly congratulated him for landing the Giants head coaching job, which eventually went to Brian Dable. You're talking about hearsay right now. How did Belichick know? That's the question. These allegations from Flores comes as he was slated to interview for other head coaching vacancies, but Fertel says his future as an NFL coach could be in jeopardy. I don't believe that he will get another shot. I think it'll be similar to the Kaepernick situation. And after a settlement, Fertel says that he believes that Flores will actually coach at a historically black college or university, such as big names like Eddie George and Deion Sanders. We're in Miami Gardens. I'm Joseph Ojo. All right, that was Joseph Ojo. That was in uh, local10.com. Ah, man, I look, it, it's um normally I would say let's wait for more information to come out, but it is just not looking good for the NFL. It is not looking good for the hiring practices at all. Um if anybody listening to me right now um ever served or was ever a recruiter ever was in an interview board, you know how important it is to make sure everything is fair 
and equitable. Not only is it morally right, but it's legally it's 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 legal to do so. You have to be able to to give everybody an equal opportunity to interview for this position. So to recap what happened, Brian Flores was the uh, a pretty good coach for the Miami Dolphins. He I mean he was there for I believe three years. He got let go, and he was interviewing for a job um, up in New York for the New York Giants. And apparently his interview was on a Thursday and a couple of days earlier, he got a text from his former boss, Bill Belichick, over the head coach for the uh, New England Patriots, um, congratulating him on getting the position. And he obviously he was confused. Um, Brian Flores was confused. He's like, I haven't even interviewed for that position yet. Why am I being congratulated by somebody who's not even on the on the interview board for that position? So anyway, um, so obviously Bill Belichick made a mistake, you know, after it was all said and done, uh, because it was a different Brian who got the job, a different Brian who got the job over with the uh, New York Giants. And this other coach happens to be white. Brian happens to uh, Brian Flores happens to be black. And it, it's uh, it, it folks, to be honest, it resonates with a lot of what's happening in this country or has been happening in this country for the longest time is that people already make up, make up their mind on who they get to hire without even taking a look at all the other candidates. And they make up their mind based on, on, on information. Well, not, I don't want to say based on information, but based on the criteria that's got nothing to do with the skill set that the person has for the job, i.e. skin color. Again, I'm not saying that is what happened here. Right now, we're just getting a lot of information from different news media outlets. But it's just not looking good for the NFL. It just really, really is not. And, and it's, uh, it's, it really gives an impression that a decision to hire somebody for a job is already made before interviews are conducted. And the NFL is going to have a, have a uphill battle proving otherwise because it's just not looking good for them. Now, here are my tips for all of you listening out there. Um, how do you stop this from happening at work? Well, it's easy. Don't make up your mind on, on, on deciding who gets the position until you have interviewed all of your candidates. It really is that simple, folks. It really is that simple. That is the best way to make sure you have a fair and equitable process where everybody has an equal opportunity to interview who meets the minimum qualification. Obviously, Brian Flores does meet that minimum qualification. I mean, it does, right? Um, it's, he, he did a pretty good job over with, um, with the uh, with the Miami Dolphins, although he is releasing some information that I find odd, because after all this happens, um, he is releasing other information that the owner of the Miami Dolphins um, it's uh, was uh, uh, offering him a hundred thousand uh, dollars for every game lost. Um, that way, they can get a better position for the draft. Um, I I don't know why he's releasing this information. I guess he's upset. I do understand why he is upset. I would be upset too. And I'm sure he was aware that as soon as he decided, as soon as he made the, the decision to go out and make this public and file that lawsuit and release all this all this information, I'm sure he realized that it was just how that attorney said in that in the news clip that was going to be career suicide. I mean, he knows what he's doing. That's fine. I mean, that's uh that's his hill to climb. But man, the NFL has a. Uh, has a tough hill to defend this case because there is I, I, I can't imagine 
any situation, any situation whatsoever, and I run a bunch of them through my mind before I decided to speak on this, I can't imagine any situation where that other Brian was selected for this position fair and equitably uh, in comparison to all of the other people who was interviewing for this position as well. So Bill Belichick, man, he's got some explaining to do. The NFL has some explaining to do, but we, we're going to keep um, following this story as time goes on and more information starts to come out. But again, um, coming back to the real world, well, not the real world, you know, coming back to where everybody else lives, uh, to make sure this doesn't happen in your organization, folks, just make sure that before you make a decision, you interview everybody and you take everybody's skill sets, you take whatever they bring to the table into consideration to make sure if they are a a good fit for you and for that organization. And this next part, hardly anybody does. You want to make sure you're a good fit for them. If you pay you as the employer play, pay close attention to how you fit into this new employee's life, into this new employee's career. If you if you um, uh, spend some time trying to figure that out, you're going to get a much better candidate. It's it really is a two way street, right? Because you're focusing not only on what the candidate needs financially, what kind of total compensation package they need, but what kind what's important for them. Yes, their money, but their family as well. And you want to make sure they're included in this whole process, right? So we'll see. We'll see what happens here um, in the next couple of weeks. But, ooh, NFL, have fun with that one. All right, folks, let's move on to the main event. So um, I had the great opportunity to sit down with one of the keynote speakers for the Space Coast HR Conference coming up here in a few months and uh, yeah, you know what? I'm just not going to say that much about, that much more about it. I'm just going to go ahead and roll the tape. These are some of the things that HR leaders and business leaders need to pay attention to in the employment and labor law space here in 2022. Check it out. Today's guest, she's going to be a keynote speaker at the Space Coast HR Conference coming up here in April 20th, 2022. Uh, tickets are still available. It is the 25th anniversary of the Space Coast HR Conference here in Cape Canaveral, Florida. So the person that we are talking to today, she has a diverse labor and employment uh, practice background. Lily Moon represents employers in federal and state courts, administrative forum, and arbitration in actions of harassment and discrimination, retaliation, and wrongful discharge, whistleblowers, wage and hour, this is a lot, breach of contract, <laughs> tortious uh, interference, non-compete, and state tort matters arising from the employment relationship. Clients rely on Lily's keen insight of workplace privacy policies and practices, including data breach, security issues, and written information security programs. I need a break just from reading that, Lily. Oh, my God. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Lillian Chavez-Moon, partner at the Orlando office at Ackerman LLP. Excellent. So you're a partner at Ackerman here in the Orlando office, right, Lily? Yes. All right. So, wow, that was a lot. Okay. So I have a lot to ask you, but I have to start. It's um, what, what made you say, you know what? I want to be an attorney above and beyond that. I want to be an employment and labor law attorney. So actually what made me say that was my first legal job was at the U.S. Department of Labor. 
Oh. So right out of law school, I was hired at DOL in DC as an appellate attorney doing OSHA. And so OSHA is a very narrow part of labor and employment law. And when I left pri- uh, public practice and came into the private practice, um, I was like, all right, I need to expand out. Let's get out into the workplace. And I just liked workplace. I mean, it affects so many people, right? Like what? I don't know, 85% of us, 90% of us work. Yeah, pretty much. So it affects everybody. That it does. And you mentioned OSHA. And I tell you what, when, when, first of all, when HR people hear OSHA, oh, okay, investigations. But in the past five months or so, when they hear OSHA, they think something else. I'm pretty sure your cell phone bill, your cell phone period, you have to charge it every two hours from everybody calling you with these vaccine, vaccine mandates, right? Oh, yeah. And it's been quite uh, what I call the tennis match, right? Like, essentially, it was the back and forth, back and forth of OSHA and the court and state governments filing suit and employer groups filing suit and going back and forth until finally OSHA withdrew it. But I guarantee you that is not the end of it. Yeah, I know. I know. And look, coming from an HR person who, look, I don't care where people are in the political spectrum. If you believe in vaccines, don't believe in vaccines. I know this. Every HR person, regardless where they are, they were dreading this because it was going to be one a heck of a task just to keep track of everything, right? Our jobs are hard enough. So I know my, I could feel my gray hairs growing from my head from stress. I can't even imagine what you were going through because people were looking to you for, look, people look to me for advice and I'm like, I got to get an attorney. So I call someone like you. (laughs) So I get, so I'm assuming you must have had just, just a rough four or five months, correct? Or am I over assuming that? I think you're slightly overassuming it. <laughs> Got uh, it. Oh, come on, play it up, Lily. Play it up. Say, oh, it was horrible. Okay, yes, you were absolutely yeah. correct. Yes. <laughs> I, I will say this though. Um, you know, one thing that I think it's important because it kind of gets lost in the conversation mm-hmm. is the issue of the OSHA ETS in terms of how the court decided it, how ultimately the Supreme Court decided it was not about are you pro-vax or anti-vax, right? Like in the discussions, it seems to be about that. On Facebook, it's about that, right? But the court actually decided, does OSHA in our system of government and the powers that Congress granted to OSHA, does it have the authority to do such a broad sweeping mandate? And so I think that gets lost in the discussion because people, you know, take political sides and even lawyers who, you know, I've talked to about it, they tend to go to their political side. And I'm like, no, 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 no. you guys should know better. (laughs) You of all people, like you took con law in law school, you should know better. You should know how our system of government is divided. Um, But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think administratively. It was a nightmare, depending on the size of the employer um, and also on its population. So just having the VAX mandate was probably less of a nightmare than doing the testing option, because the testing option, you'd have to get weekly testing Mm. from every employee who wasn't vaccinated. So that did probably add to the administrative headaches. And of course, I saw lots of commercials, sorry, of companies advertising that they would do that for you. I did see that as well. All right. So, you know, 
You said something really interesting, right there. You said that that the court was deciding whether OSHA had the authority, whether they they overreached or not. And that's an interesting statement because you're right. People think, oh, the Supreme Court struck it down. I don't have to worry about OSHA anymore. No, 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 no. The only thing the court said is they don't have the authority to mandate. Now, if somebody at your job, for anybody out there listening, if somebody at work um, gets sick or is hurt or dies because they contracted COVID-19 from work, OSHA can still be involved and investigate because that's still considered workers' comp. So OSHA is still heavily involved, just not from the mandate perspective, correct? Well, uh, yeah. So OSHA is heavily involved in anything that deals with workplace hazards. Mm -hmm. And so what OSHA has said and did way before the ETS. So remember, the ETS didn't come out until November. Yep. Of last year. We've been dealing with COVID-19 since March of 2020. Right? Like we're almost two years into this. Yeah. So 18 months into COVID is when OSHA comes out with the ETS. For that entire 18-month period, OSHA was regulating COVID precautions in the workplace. That they is were true. doing it under the general duty clause. That's right. Okay. And OSHA will continue doing that post-ETS withdrawal, and OSHA has emphasized in its withdrawal that it is going for a permanent standard. Uh, so it's not, it's not over. It's not over. Oh, great. Hey, order me more hair club for men. The uh, the just for men, great stuff, because I'm going to have a lot more hair club for men. Why did I say that? <laughs> I mean, just for men. I have no idea what I'm talking about here. So that... You're right, because they have. we have been getting guidance, because I do remember advising my clients with it, that it's, it's look, you got OSHA, they do their thing, right? And then you got the EEOC, they have their thing, and ADA, they have, and you got to make sure that they play well in the sandbox, right? Because, you know, if uh, somebody says, I can't wear a mask because for some medical reason, then ADA comes in, or religious reasons for the vaccine, then it's EEOC, it's just, it's this whole thing. So I, I didn't really think about how involved they were until you just mentioned it right now what do you tell me so what are the main things that you that that from your perspective from an attorney's point of view what are some of the key things that hr professionals and business leaders need to really pay attention in 2022 yeah and this is actually what i am going to talk about thank you <laughs> which is essentially how COVID 19 has changed the workplace forever mm. You know, there's no, yeah, because okay. there's no going back. Like when I left my office in March of 2020, you know, I thought naively, obviously, especially in retrospect, I was going home for like two or three weeks, right? <laughs> it was two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah. We're now almost two years into this. And so what I think is employers have learned a lot, right? So employers have learned a lot. Employees have learned a lot. Mm. And the question is, have you as a business learned to adapt your workplace to what has come out of COVID-19? And it really isn't necessarily directly COVID-19, but it's a lot of like remote working. How does your culture change? How do you maintain that culture? You know, what are you doing to recruit new employees? We have the great resignation. It's still happening. It's still, <laughs> still happening, happening. Right? That's right. Yeah. And 
employees are also realizing things. What are they realizing? Well, for example, they're realizing that they have the upper hand in a lot of cases. <laughs> You're not wrong there. You're not, and it's catching a lot of people off guard. You're right about that. Exactly, which the great resignation, I think, is showing that. Yes. And what I think is happening is employees who, a lot of employees are still working remotely. Yeah. But even those who are not, you know, that time at home under quarantine, any time at home, or even if you had no time of quarantine, because there were people who were working in essential businesses. Mm -hmm. But I think what COVID did was it made people think like, what do I want for my life? Right? What do I want? How do I want to do it? And how am I going to get it? And what am I willing to put up with? I think that last part, that last, what am I willing to put up with? Because I'm pretty sure, and it's, I'm only speaking for myself and what I have seen through my eyes, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people were on the edge, just looking for an excuse to go out and do their own thing. And this big thing comes along in the beginning of 2020, and it kind of helped them make their decisions, whether they made the decision to jump back then or the decision was made for them, because a lot of organizations kind of downsized to kind of catch up, right? But you're right. The interesting thing is, is that as as we continue to, and I said it in the last show, I said post-pandemic, and I'm like, is it really post? Because we're, at, at what point does a pandemic becomes post or are we still in it, right? I think it's when it's normalized for us. Because, yeah, because yeah, we're never going to get back to, to, to how it was before at the end of 2019. Um, so I guess when we get used to whatever's happening, that'll be post-pandemic. Got it. So even after um, everything that's happening, people are still leaving in droves. And I'm just like, I think November, 4.5 million people decided to say adios, goodbye, have a good one. And what I really want to see with that, Lily, I want to see where they went. Because to me, if 4.5 million people left the job, I have to assume at least half filled other positions that were, em- that were empty, <laughs> right? And then I guess, I don't know, 30% of them went to do gig work and the other 20% went to do their own thing. I'm, I'm just assuming that. That's not um, any graph that I have. But it's, yeah, employees are learning a lot. Employers are learning a lot as well. And I'm with you. I really think what the working from home and having, uh, no, just, just, just working remotely, period, I honestly believe is going to be exactly how benefits are right now, right? At one point, um, benefits, adding benefits on top of a salary was unheard of. Like, what are you doing? Why are we going to give all these things? And then as time went on, it became normal. And I really think this thing that just happened to us in the past couple of years is going to do the same thing for remote work. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's already done it. Oh. So even like in the legal field. Okay. There are lots of lawyer jobs out there that are being posted around the country from firms that do not have a footprint nationwide that are saying work remote. That's happening already. It's happening already. And what I think is interesting is that it's happening because applicants are demanding it. Mm. So at this stage, you've got people who have multiple interviews going on at once because you can just zoom in the interview, right? That's true. Yeah. So, 
you could schedule a whole week of interviews. You're waiting for the offers to come. There's no more really of this like hiding the ball in the interview process of like seven interviews and you're not going to be upfront about what the salary range is or what mm. the benefits are. No, people want a comparison. And for me, I compare it to like real estate. So in real estate, you know, you have like a seller's market and a buyer's market. Yep. In this case, employees are like buyers. They're going to buy jobs. And it's a buyer's market. That is the best description I've heard. You're absolutely right. They're calling the shots, to be honest. They are. They really are. But where I think, so I think employers are focusing on that, right? Like they're changing the way they interview. They're adding benefits. They're adding fringe benefits. Another thing of working remotely is, you know, people are used to dressing super casual, (laughs) like their PJs. That's right. And I'm not saying employers should allow PJs in the workplace, but if you're still requiring suits every day, dude, you're the first one that's out <laughs> like, no, True. Not even. True. No, yeah. It, so, so you know what? Even with that, even in changing that environment, what you require people to do, I mean, to require somebody to wear a suit during a Zoom meeting, it, it's why you're still there then. But you know, that brings up other questions. And and I actually had this issue with a client right when everything first started because um somebody uh, somebody was working from home, right? Because it, it's they had the capabilities too. They got the computer, everything from from the um from the uh organization and the employee tripped over a cable after she finished the meeting in her room. And I'm telling the client that it's going to be work as calm. He's like, no, it happened at the house. I'm like, it happened at the house while she was conducting work for you that you're paying her to do. Regardless where it is, that's going to be work as calm. Do you anticipate seeing a lot more of those? And how is that line going to get blurred? So we did at the beginning of the pandemic anticipate a lot of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, because, yeah, your work location is where you are. So if I trip over my dog or a cable or whatever it is, that's my work location. If I'm sitting in my dining room chair at my dining room table all day, every day, and my neck gets crooked and, you know, and I'm going to suddenly need neck surgery. I mean, there was a lot of that that we anticipated at the beginning. I don't know if it's completely panned out the way we thought it did. Mm. Um, you know, I've been, I had conversations like that at the beginning with some workers' comp attorneys and also some insurance brokers. Okay. And we were all kind of on the same page. Like, yeah, we thought that's what was going to happen. What we also thought would happen is a lot of policies weren't written to cover that. And so the question was, how would the insurance companies handle it? Um, And anecdotally, I haven't heard how that's panned out two years into this. Wow. See, it, 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 it's as soon as you start digging, going down that rabbit hole, you're going to fight. Just, you know what? Cover the hole up. Just, just, just <laughs> put the can, put the cover back in the can. <laughs> awesome. All right. So how employers are going to adjust to what the new workforce is going to require? All right. So that's one thing. What's something else that business leaders and HR professionals need to be looking out for this year? I think what they need to be looking out for, which goes along with recruitment, but seems to be something that at least as I've talked to friends um, and I've seen even my own clients, they seem to be missing the boat on retention. 
Mm. Right? Like all the focus seems to go on how are we going to get people to come in? What about the people you've already got there? Like, what are you going to do to keep these people? What are you going to do to make sure they don't up and resign? Uh And guess what? You had other people leave either through you laid them off and now you've picked operations back up. So you need more people or they left through the great resignation, whatever. The people left behind have been holding the bag for you. Mm. Mm. So Mm. what are you doing for them? How are you going to make sure they are going to stay? Yeah, how are you going to make sure they're not part of the next great resignation? That's a really good point. You're right because it's and look, it's unfortunate, Lily, because a lot of organizations have the mentality of the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? But if there's no squeaking that's going on, I guess everything's going good. But you're right, business leaders and HR professionals do need to be more proactive to because it's it's how I look at it from an, the difference between a stay interview and an exit interview. Exit interviews are okay, right? But that's not going to state the person who you're getting the exit interview from. Stay interviews is it. Let's focus on the people who are still here, why they're still here, and if they have a foot out the door, why? And what you can do to bring it back in. Huh. Okay. Got you. Yeah. I'm following on. And so, in a stay interview, Mm -hmm. the issue is going to be, can you adequately conduct that kind of interview, whether you call it an interview or like a climate study, some people call it, you know, whatever you want to name it. How are you going to get employees to answer honestly? Ah. Because if I'm still there, like if I'm putting my mind into, you know, this, I don't know, we'll just call this employee, whatever we want to call it. Like this phantom employee that we're envisioning that has like one foot out the door, let's say. How are you going to get that employee to answer honestly? Because if you come to me and I'm that employee, I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear because I still need my job. Mm. Okay. Like I'm afraid if I tell you the truth that now I'm on the chopping block. Got it. So those kind of interviews or questionnaires or whatever, however you do it, they should be either run by people who have no authority to hire and fire and the employees are clear Mm. and it's not going to go anywhere or better yet somehow some kind of anonymous way of doing it. Would it be safe to, would it be safe to assume that if that concern is there in making sure or in, in worrying whether your current employees retention wise, if they're not going to give you honest answers, then it's just safe to assume that maybe the organization has an is- a trust issue? You know, I don't know if employers really even realize that that's an issue. Oh, got it. <laughs> right? Because okay. if you're going by squeaky wheel only gets the grease, mm-hmm. the employee who's not going to give you an honest answer is not a squeaky wheel. Wait, say that again. The employee who's not giving you the honest answer is not the squeaky wheel? Right. Like the one who is telling you what you want to hear Uh is not the squeaker. That's right. Yeah, you're right about that. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Everything's working. Everything's fine. Everything's great, boss. Everything's great. I love it here. (laughs) Got it. Love it. And then in a month, here's my resignation. (laughs) I thought you said you loved it. Yeah, I know. I changed my mind. Yeah, no. Exactly. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So so how do you – how can – 
So I guess my question is, it's, it's instead of waiting for somebody to leave and then trying to figure out what to happen, what can business leaders do now to just get ahead of it and just avoid a big bleed later on? So one way is to do kind of an anonymous survey, like okay. we talked about. Anonymous survey, got it. So another way, and really I think the key for businesses, is they have to realize most employees don't leave because this other company down the road is offering more money. Like a lot of times employers think, oh, it's about the money. It's not really. For most people, it's not about the money. Unless it's a real significant increase, right? A life changer. Like suddenly my whole lifestyle is changing. Yeah, all right. Then it's- That makes sense, yeah. But if it's just a slight increase or, you know, it's not going to make a significant difference, the real reason that employees leave is they don't feel valued. Got it. See, that's got a sting to, especially to some business leaders who feel that, like they value their employees, but the employees would think differently, right? But um, they don't show it. That won't, How could they show it, though? How could they show that value? I mean, look, right, everybody listening, I know how to show it. This is for the sake of conversation. How can an employer show value to an employee without the employee thinking there's an agenda behind it? Right. I mean, I think one way is, first of all, to keep the promises you made at hire. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Yes. I have a friend who works at a company, company who shall not be named. Roger that. <laughs> and upon hire, the company tells everyone, hey, we have this 401k matching. We match this certain percentage, right? Mm-hmm. She's worked there for nine years. And in nine years, the company has never once, not a single time, put any money into her 401k. Nothing? Every, nothing. Wow. Every year they say, oh, we can't match this year. But every year they also announce, this is the best year we've ever had. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at your friend. I'm laughing at the audacity. <laughs> That's what I'm laughing exactly. at. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, gee, um, I don't feel valued, right? Yeah. Yeah, No, no, I bet, especially after nine years, though. They don't do that. Absolutely. No, it's, I'm wondering why more people haven't jumped shipped, right? Because, you know, you're right. Why people leave is huge. And this is what I tell some clients as well. And I don't know if you do the, uh, the the saying so when when clients are have a concern that hey so and so left they're going somewhere else for more money should I adjust my 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 comp I'm like I, it's well you do an exit interview like why did they leave it's like oh they just wanted more money but you know why right because some people value the culture more than money depending where they are in their career but then like two weeks later calls me literally almost crying almost crying because he was just like he's like he doesn't understand. Someone he left, not for more money, for less. And the reason he felt the way he did is because he took that person and like, wow, somebody is willing to take $20,000 less a year and they find that more valuable than hanging out here with us. Smack in the face, right? So took him out drinking. I'm like, look, dude, it's drink is not going to help you. However, you really might want to take a look at why people are looking to take a pay cut in an environment where 
a lot of people are not getting a lot of jobs. This is about four, four or five years ago. An environment where people are having a hard time finding the job that they want. They're just going away and be, and, 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 and just grabbing less money because they find that culture over there is more valuable than the money you're offering here. So it's, I've had that conversation with that person. I don't know if you've had that conversation with any clients. And if you have, how did that go? Maybe you can help me out in talking to this guy. <laughs> so I have that conversation, but generally, because when I step in, mm-hmm. usually, is because my client's getting sued. Uh, that's true. Yep. So where the conversation comes in like this is, all right, you've gotten sued. And the client says, I don't understand why I'm getting sued. I don't know why this person is making up, you know, whatever allegations are making up. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. And I always say, look, you could have done something 100% right legally, but there's a reason why we're here. Hmm. There's a reason why this person perceives that they were discriminated against if, you know, there wasn't really any discrimination took place. Or they perceive that you retaliated against them. So what's the lesson? What are we going to fix? Let's figure it out. Like, how can we fix it for everybody else? Because you have an entire workforce who, by the way, they know how you treated this person. (laughs) They saw what was happening. And I always think it's, I kind of chuckle to myself. I mean, honestly, probably out loud sometimes in conversations with clients (laughs) where they tell me like, you know, no, employees don't tell each other when they get disciplined. Oh Oh, yeah, they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah. Hello. And guess how they spin it. (laughs) They say, can you believe what this jerk did? Can you believe the audacity of this person to say this about me? Oh, I love that. I love how they think because <laughs> I'm laughing because I can picture it. That's embarrassing. They're not going to talk about that. No, their hate for you, it's it's no match for their embarrassment. Right? So they will talk about how much they hate it there. You're right. They will talk yeah. about those things. Wow. And in fact, they're not embarrassed about it they're because not, they hate yeah. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to tell that to this client. I mean, this was five years ago. I'm just, I'm still talking to him, just making sure he's good, but yeah. (laughs) I think your guy probably needs to look at the culture. Yes. And more importantly, what is he doing to recognize employees for their work? So So, I'll give you an example from my own life. Yes. Okay. Here I am, a brand new attorney working at the Department of Labor. And I had several bosses. So, you know, one if anyone's listening from 20 years ago, they'll have to figure out who it is because I'm <laughs> certainly not going to name the person. Got it. But one of them was very old school. Actually, they all were, frankly. But this one in particular, this person's philosophy was, I don't need to tell you you're doing a good job. Because you doing a good job is the requirement. Oh, my God. So if you're meeting the requirement, I don't need to tell you. When I need to tell you is when you aren't meeting the requirement. Yeah, no. (laughs) Right? No. So you go along, you go along, you go along, and you're wondering, gosh, am I I doing okay? Am I doing a good job? Well, I'm not going to tell you unless you're doing a bad job. 
what message does that send? So in order for me to get feedback, I have to suck at my job? Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the message that sends, right? Yeah. Wow. So how does the employee who's doing a good job, how do they feel valued? Yeah. yeah. You have to tell them. Well, yeah, when they suck. <laughs> it's just Right, when they suck, so they're horrible. like, oh, by the way, you suck and we're going to fire you. <laughs> you want a feedback? There it is. <laughs> There you go. There's your feedback. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, definitely that's not the way. For everybody listening, obviously, that's not the way to do it, right? Because, look, it's especially the people who are rocking the house. They need, if anything, more attention, right? Or the same attention to the people who are not, right? Yes, you got to bring the people who are not rocking the house up to minimum standards. But to ignore your, your rock stars, that right there, you throw that into a pot, shake it up. What you're going to get back is a two week resignation. That's what's going to happen if you don't listen to them and you and you or 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 don't give them any feedback. How long? If you don't mind me asking, how long do you stay there for? Oh, I was at DOL for two years. Two years, but that actually had nothing to do with DOL. Well, okay, it kind of did because you know government yeah. pay isn't that great, right? Yeah, yeah. Trust me. So in that sense, it was pay because I was like. I'm an attorney and I have to have a roommate. Oh, <laughs> like, like wow. what? You know, to make ends meet in DC, right? Yeah. Um, but also I ended up meeting my husband and he was in Florida. He wasn't my husband at the time, he was my boyfriend, right? So I moved back home to Florida. So it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. But it, it really had nothing to do with that boss. And the reason he even had that conversation with me, because I finally went up, went, you know, and said, Hey, like. How am I doing? <laughs> you had to ask. You have to go and yes. say, hey, I'm scheduling our one-on-one <laughs> so I can do my annual review. <laughs> wow. Uh, it, and you know what's unfortunate, Lily, that it, it's, it's, you can multiply that by thousands and thousands of employers and employees across the nation right now. And, and, and believe it or not, that actually does happen. It really does happen. And you know what? The good thing about that is there's organizations, there's meetings like Space Coast HR conference coming up where a lot of experts such as yourself get together and kind of let us know what to look for from an HR perspective. Because although that 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 is a great lesson, just like you know, you, we're 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 all human beings and we tend to forget those little things that we need to be reminded. Which is that's what you're going to do later on this uh, this uh, spring over at Space Coast. So. Let's do this. Let's stop it right here. We could you believe we've been talking like this, this this interview for 34 minutes? What did I say earlier? 20 minutes and but we just kept talking. I'm like, I'm not gonna stop this conversation because I find this fascinating. <laughs> so but Lily, how can people reach you? How can people if if they want to get a hold of you for any official legal advice, because nothing that was said here is official legal advice, but if they wanted to just talk to you, uh, it's how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so um, you can get a hold of me at, uh, the best way is email, L-I-L-L-I-A-N dot M-O-O-N at Ackerman.com, or just remember Ackerman.com, and you can search the profiles and find me. Boom. And you're going to be at the uh, one of the keynote speakers over at Space Coast. So, Lily, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I will see you in a few months. My pleasure. Thanks, Ricky. Bye. 
Folks, I could sit down with Lily for hours and hours talking about employment and labor law. She loves that subject. I love that subject. And we're and uh, we're both going to be at Space Ghost HR Conference coming up April 20th again. That is www.spaceghosthrconference.com. Tickets are still available, folks. You know what that means. It is the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. No, seriously, I really do. I appreciate it. Each and every single one of you. That said, you can always find us on the websites. Yeah, websites. That's what I call it. Biasco.com. You can download the podcast from your favorite podcast download platform, whatever that may be for you. Give us a like. Let us know how you feel about the show. Or email us, ebiaz at biasco.com. All right, folks. Drive safe. Good night.